Can I tell you about something I watched recently? I just, I just so wish you would, <laughs> because I just all I've been doing is sitting here working away, and I think, what do I need right now? Oh, I know, I need a pointless anecdote from Lee Sales, <laughs> and then you turn up. Like this, just got it. Like magic, yeah. Like absolute magic. I tell you what, if you're telling me about a book I've already talked about on this podcast, I'm going to hurt you. <laughs> I am going to talk about later. I think something that you do know a little bit mm, about, God. but no, I want to talk about um, a Ricky Gervais stand-up uh, recording of a stand-up performance. It's oh, okay. called Humanity. Okay, it was Good. on Netflix. Proceed. As we know, I love Ricky Gervais. I know he is offensive though. <laughs> uh, he's equal opportunity offensive. He offends everybody. Um, I think that he has not a normal level of human fear. Right. He seems to say things that I just think anyone else would be quaking in their boots to say, and he seems to show no signs whatsoever of having any level of regret or whatever about what he says. So, I mean, I'm just thinking of the time he introduced Mel Gibson at the Golden Globes and he said, uh, I like a drink as much as the next man, unless the next man's Mel Gibson. <laughs> um, in the Pantheon, though, that's not even very offensive. I mean, like he's what – no, he, he's he seems to be sort of anti PC geared to like an almost absurd degree, and yeah, I do. I share your puzzlement sometimes about the stuff that he gets away with, it and I think maybe he's just kind of too big to fail. Could be he's very. Although one could have said that about Kevin Spacey and all of those yeah, people sure. too. Um, he seems he he's very consistent. He, he's a very sort of rational person. He, he's anti religion. Um, yeah, anyway, so this stand-up routine starts with uh, he got in trouble for making some gags about Caitlyn Jenner at some event. Right, okay. So instead of leaving well alone, that okay, well, you've sort of come through that a little bit scathed, but you got through it, so just let's not go there again. It opens with him going straight to that and talking about how he was criticised and then sort of unpacking the joke and explaining why it was actually funny and explaining what sort of drives his um, approach to humour and stuff. Anyway, um Definitely some people would find it offensive. I thought it was interesting. Anyway, he moves off that and then I just find some of his stuff is just so funny and observant. I mean, he's got his, – his persona as well is – I like to think that beneath the sort of um, – a little bit obnoxious, egotistical sort of thing is actually a guy with a heart of gold. I, c I can't explain it because he can come across so obnoxious and yet I still like him. Maybe he is just obnoxious to the core. I don't know. But um, he does this riff on – because he doesn't have children. He says, people always ask, you know, why don't you have children? He says, well, the question should be, why do you have children? And he talks about how annoying children are. And then he's like, you know, I know what would happen if I have had a child. You know, it'd be a baby and I'd have to look after it and that'd be really annoying. And then as it got older, it would realise it'd start to get some issues with me because it would realise it's never going to be as brilliant as me. It's never going to live up to the legend of Ricky Gervais. And so then we get all the teenage rebellion and blah, blah, blah. Then it would come into my nice house and, and OD on my Afghan rug and it'd be like, do you love me now, Daddy? <laughs> And I'd be like, no, I don't. <laughs> it was way funnier than what I just did then, but it's just hilarious. And then he did this other bit as well that I just laughed like a drain where he got – because he's he always is poking fun at Christianity. Um, some Christian uh, on Twitter sent him a tweet that said, uh, your science won't help you when you die and you're being raped by Satan in hell. Okay. Anyway, he sort of unpicks it all, hilar that tweet, every aspect of it, hilariously and brilliantly, and then it ends with him saying, but, you know, to be fair, if I die and I find myself in hell being raped by Satan, yes, I think I will feel that science has let me down. <laughs> 
Anyway, it, it was uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And then he finishes, he comes out for an encore and then he talks about the value of laughing and the uh, way that that can sort of, you know, unite humanity and blah, blah, blah. Anyways, I just, I thought, I think he's fantastic. So is this a new, I, I'm sorry, I'm, I, I know I'm an idiot, but like, so is this a new stand-up series that's just been no, released? No, it's or just it's an a one-off. Thing? It's like Hannah Gadsby's Nanette. It's just but a what one-off. Happens, like. I'm interested in your pattern of consumption. Yes. Because I know what happens is you get off air and then, like, you know, you're still a bit wired of being on air, so you get home. I go and, home and party and... Yeah, you know. just like, but after, like, all of the strippers have left, like, then you open up your television, which, oh, that's right, it doesn't work, because um, it was installed by you. And then, uh, like, what, what? how do you kind of... Now that there's just this incredible range of things that you can sort of sort through. How do I pick? Yeah. So what makes you think, oh, I might go back to that Ricky Gervais um, stand-up series that I haven't seen that's well, been there for years? look, it's eclectic. I'm about to watch something, for example, because my friend Tim has been begging me to watch it to the degree that he's put a diary reminder in his diary and say so every Sunday I get a message from Tim haranguing <laughs> me about have wow. I watched this thing yet. Now I do, I do. Tim, stop it. <laughs> I do trust Tim and I like his taste. This is Tim who came to Paul McCartney with me. Yep. I trust his taste. He's got good taste. So I will watch it. But, Tim, now look at what's happened. I've had to resort publicly to sending you a message to tell you to effing stop doing this. It's very annoying and I'm going what to watch it over Easter. What is the thing that Tim's okay? nagging you about? Uh, something about Dawn, some doco about something or other. Oh, sounds boring, Tim. Leave her alone. <laughs> It's like you trying to get me to watch The Americans. What the hell will it take me to crack about three years? Anyway, uh, so there's so there's being hassled by friends. Then there's friends whose judgment I, I trust that because they, they have similar tastes. So if they say they love something, I think, okay, great. Um, then there's people that I'm a fan of, like, say, Ricky Gervais. I just watched oh, – what okay, happens right. is I get into a rabbit hole. So I just watched Afterlife, which I've talked about on yeah, the pod. Yeah. And so then I get into, oh, I want some more Ricky Gervais. So then I go off and right. do that. Yep. Very rarely do I just browse around and something catches my eye. Oh. It usually has to be that somebody it's has a targeted search. A bit more of a targeted search. Right, um, okay. Books. I'm a little bit more. I will just be roaming around a bookstore or stuff comes across my desk at work and I go like three women that I talked about last time um, mm-hmm. and I go, oh, that looks interesting, and then just randomly pick up stuff. What about you? Uh, well, I am often directed by my life partner, who is quite like he keeps quite abreast of like what's coming up and what's around and so he knows my taste pretty well and like so we have two different kinds of tv shows in our house there'll mm-hmm. be one that we're watching together and then there'll be stuff that he's watching by himself like game of thrones i can't even speak oh, oh I can't good even speak i've been wanting to game. talk to you about this because yeah no I'm, I'm still not, not it doing it still not doing it do you know i had to watch season one under sufferance i, I just i don't really like that, that fantasy genre like yeah. i hated lord of the rings as well it's just not my bag at all most yeah. boring thing i've ever seen um Season one, Brendan uh, made me watch it under sufferance when I was on maternity leave with Daniel and I ended up making up my own lyrics to the theme song, which were, this is boring. Tits and werewolves, tits and werewolves, tits and werewolves, tits and werewolves. I am so bored. Werewolves, tits and werewolves, tits and werewolves. Look, I think you should offer that to the uh, producers. I think it'll, <laughs> as a promo line, it's pretty accurate. Uh, 
I just, yeah, I'm never going to watch it. Sorry, everybody. Um, what about how the other day I saw Scott Morrison, you know, watching the season return, you know, oh, my God, like yeah. this sort of prime ministerial goggle box. I just thought, oh. What do you not like about it? Tits and werewolves, tits and werewolves. <laughs> I just like, I don't know, that elaborately suited sort of, you know, I don't know. I'm reading, or Jeremy and I'm reading um, the uh, child's version of the Odyssey and the Iliad to our kids at the moment, and like that. I mean, I've got enough just sort of smiting from that. Really, I don't. I'm not looking for more smiting right. um, in my television <laughs> viewing thing. I just thought. Anyway, it's a good excuse to like when you are um, in a relationship and you've got some things that you're watching together, and then some things you're watching separately. Yeah. Then um, it's a good. It's actually a good release valve because sometimes the way that I operate in my workplace is that I work reasonably flexibly, but I will always go back to work in the evening um, and oh, not okay. physically drive back into the ABC or whatever. Um, go back to work in the evening. Yeah, I've often thought this about you. Like, how do you start to wind down and then go, okay, I'm never it's wound down sales. Oh. I'm always wound up. Um, oh. But, well, I mean, nighttime is a really good quiet time to write like and sometimes so that's why I do lots of writing um right. and yeah you, you're right the downside is that you then finish at like 11 and then you're like oh my god now I gotta go to bed but now but I feel are you really... still wired though maybe, maybe a little bit I don't know <laughs> don't want you grinding oh. your bloody teeth love <laughs> anyway so but then when I'm doing that then I, I feel like I'm not kind of jamming a spoke in like a, a, a sort of I feel like I'm not interfering with Jeremy's viewing habits because then he can kind of um proceed with tits and werewolves on his own and yeah. I don't care about that not one bit that, that is what I ended up calling it so I used to say to Brendan um how many episodes of tits and werewolves have we got to go in fact I, the other day I thought I want to see if I could still make him laugh and so he was picking up the kids and I said are you gonna watch the new season of tits and werewolves and he, it was exactly the same sort of he like laughed with the sort of laugh but with the tiny note of irritation yeah <laughs> Because, you know, if you're really into something, you don't really want someone sitting around ripping the piss out of it every day. Oh, every totally, yeah. And I'm sure there'll be people listening to this going, wow, <gasps> I feel really offended because you guys yeah. – do you know what people always say to me? It's not a show about tits and werewolves. It's a political show. It's yeah, about politics. Sure it is. Tits and werewolves. Mind you, you gave me the whole spiel about Survivor, like an all 38 million series of that you've now, watched. Now, come it's on. really about politics. That is it's a political really show. Oh, my God. <laughs> Just look at yourself. Seriously, a good hard look. At yourself. Thank you very much. Um, I uh, watched Dirty John. Uh, we talked about this already? I know. I've talked about it at length. I can't remember oh, if you have. But have you had the benefit so of my – So therefore not interested. Next. <laughs> yes. Anyway, all I'll say Did about like that it? is Connie Britton is the greatest. Oh, and just her hair alone is the greatest. Her hair should have its own credit. But the other thing that – here's the thing that I love about Connie Britton and I've worked out what it is in that series because like – and Eric Boehner is really good as well. Um, but I listened to the podcast of Dirty John. I thought it was great. Um, and then I watched the whole series. Even, like it's quite faithful to the podcast. I mean, it's a true story, so amazing that it would be the same. But um, the main thing about Connie Britton is I really I really love and respect her for not having work done on her face. 100% agree. Because her face – and I wonder if that was sort of difficult for her for a while while, you know, as she sort of, you know – looked her age whilst other people around her perennially looked 25. Having a terrible sense of deja vu, wondering if we've discussed this before. No, we haven't. We've, okay. talked, uh, we, we've talked about it in a courtyard at a hotel in Tasmania. Oh, yeah, we did too. After Great. we okay. did the sure. Tasmanian show. Okay, good. But, and that was just a, actually one of the only conversations I can remember in the last few months where we had a conversation that wasn't recorded. 
That is a terrible is truth so about this podcast. I, I mean, we I, save I up things to say to each other. We don't really talk at all, and except I for when we've got people, a record. Oh, that's a really sick relationship. I assume, it, it is. I assume people probably think that we're hanging out together all the time, but literally 90% of our time together we are recording. Yeah. It's disturbing. Um, uh, that's why you were thinking like, oh, my God, we've broadcast this before. No, we just met in a toilet queue and had this conversation about Connie Britton. Then we I read about Connie. I love Connie Britton for that too and I was Googling about it to see what her attitude is and she said um, it has been difficult to not have work done on her face when everybody else is and to look her age. And do you know one of the ways she says she's done it? She doesn't look in the mirror very often. Really? Because when you're not looking in the mirror, you're not thinking about what you look like. But if I looked like Connie Britton, I'd, I would carry a mirror like mounted to my shoulders. <laughs> I would constantly <laughs> admire myself as I walked around. Like, I mean, I just think she's so beautiful. And she, um, her face, she can act without saying a single word. Like sometimes in the whole scenes of Dirty John, like you could, you could see exactly what's going on in her mind. And it's just, she's just moves. using her eyes. Yeah. Yeah. But, but then wouldn't it be harder? Do you think you'd ever have like, Work done? No. Do you think you'd ever do like, me too. I've never even waxed my eyebrows, which I get in trouble (laughs) for every now and again. And like makeup artists are really polite because they're like, oh, she's a little bit of a moan. I found it hilarious (laughs) where you said that someone was making you up and I forget what they subtly said and you were like, yeah, I know you're looking at my moustache. I'm not getting it waxed, all right? (laughs) (laughs) Just a little bit of a moan. But really, who could be bothered? Also, I think that might be because we haven't, no offence, love, but we haven't started out as great beauties. So I don't think that we probably put a lot of currency in our appearance, if you know what I mean. That is the most insulting compliment I've ever received. <laughs> I'm just unpacking it. <laughs> but if we were more beautiful, yes, true. don't you think that then if that was our primary currency, yeah. then we would be more likely to try to protect that yeah. currency? whereas your currency is being irritating <laughs> and being a bit And OCD. I am world class at that. Yeah, you are. <laughs> Um, so Connie yeah, Britton, point. maybe she has to look in the mirror less because, like, she's so beautiful, maybe it's more crushing if you're watching right. the Where you're kind of like, well, I was like a spectacular hottie at 25 and now I look like I'm 50. I mean, having said that, I still find it sometimes confronting to see, like, myself on TV or whatever and think, is that what I look like now? Oh, my yeah. God. Well, yeah, I guess you have a sort of internal idea of what you look like and then you're sort of confronted by the yeah. horrible fright wig. In Germany, I look like Angelina Jolie and then I see myself and go, oh, my God, I look like Tilda Swinton. What? I find it hard to listen to myself. I have the stupidest sounding voice. I can't, I can't bear it. I, like, I really can't hack it. It's terrible. And yet you, and yet you talk so much. And yet I do. I never shut up. Chat 10 looks three. Is this pointless ad giving you an opportunity to make a cup of tea? Well, you are welcome. If you do enjoy our company, uh, you can interact on a just a dizzying array of online platforms. You can go to our website, www.chat10looks3.com, where you'll have the, all the show notes from every show we've ever done. Thanks, Brenda. Uh, there's also um, a little link through to uh, a bookshop called Bedside Table, where you can purchase, if you'd like, any of the books that we've talked about in the podcast. You can also find merch if Gwen has been up to her terrible tricks and um, putting together diabolically hilarious merchandise. Can you make this a bit snappier? It's going to take us over the 30 minutes. Oh, my God. Are you for 
for real. Anyway, uh, you can catch us on Instagram, on Twitter, or join the Facebook group, which is, well, that's just uh, something um, completely else indeed. <laughs> So I'll tell you something that I did start watching that I just stumbled into, which, okay. as I said, is quite rare. Now we're rocking. A thing yep. called A Very English Scandal. Oh, and here's where you're going to talk at length about something that I already talked about on the podcast last year sometime. Really? Yep. I thought you might have, but I couldn't be entirely no, sure. No, I read the book of A Very English Scandal right. because, and that was like, I don't know, actually going back a few years actually, and because, as you know, I do love a disgraceful tale of parliamentary misbehaviour in the United <laughs> Kingdom. And this is just... You do actually. Is, yeah, if you're in Jeopardy, it. you'd be like, oh. um, disgraceful behaviour in uh, the British Parliament you're not right. circa 1970, 1980. I specialise in the major years. Yeah. Uh, Edwina Curry, I'm the only person I know who read her memoir. Several times. <laughs> oh I really God. did. I really did. Um, yeah, so why don't you tell I everyone? I read David what the- Blunkett's memoir. God, oh, jeez. I know. Christ, and as I, as you know, um, the um, the Alan Clark Diaries is one of my all time, all time favourite books. Yes, I do know that. All three volumes. Pretty much put inserted it into, I don't know, 90% of podcasts. Speaking of inserting <laughs> things where they're not wanted, back to Jeremy Thorpe. <laughs> so, Jeremy Thorpe was a British MP. You're going to know more about this than me. Who I'm just um, silently judging you on your failure to remember key details right now. He was a closeted homosexual uh, who had an affair with a guy. What was his name, Annabelle Crabb? Well, his his real name or his, his, his assumed real name? name? No, his, I can't remember. Sorry. Oh, can't you can't remember either. He's yeah. played in the TV version. He's played by the actor Ben Whishaw. Who's incredibly handsome. They have an affair matters. and then... Ben Whishaw basically starts blackmailing him. Yep. And he's, you know, he's the leader of a party. Jeremy Thorpe is, yep. the Liberal Democrats, yep. And he's worried about being exposed and so forth. He even gets married to try to sort of have a bit of a, um, you know, fig leaf. That marriage works out brilliantly, as you can imagine. <sighs> uh, anyway, it get it increasingly escalates and then Jeremy Thorpe basically says, I want this guy murdered. Uh, so he organises a friend to knock him off. Uh, which doesn't work. And then he ends up it gets because the exposed. murderer gets lost and eventually stops and asks for directions oh. from the victim. And then oh my gosh, it's just it's, it's, it's just it's an absolute it's a real cluster. Yeah, absolute cluster. Anyway, um, Hugh Grant plays Jeremy Thorpe, and I'm a big Hugh Grant fan. I've always loved Hugh Grant, uh, and so that's what made me watch it. Just because Hugh Grant is the most incredible nihilist, is that what appeals to you about him? I I just find him funny. Just uh, a man I've, who hates his work, though, isn't he? Like he's always whining about how I just never want to be an actor again. Yeah, I hate it. I've never enjoyed anything I do. Uh, don't like being famous either. Yeah. Uh, People keep asking me to do things, and it's just so hard to what say kind no. Of jerk would whine about that. For I half mean, what hour? kind of I don't fat know. cat would go imagine. on about that? Yeah, can't um, at all. But he's really good in that show. I've I must now reveal that I also went and watched the series because um, I love the book, and it is Hugh Grant is brilliant in it. He's fantastic, mm. and he doesn't. For a bloke who sort of, I guess, the first part of his career was a bit of a sex symbol, he certainly seems to not have any vanity about appearance, yeah, does right. he? Yeah, right. Well, he's, um, I guess in all the films for which he was famous, all he had to do was really sort of rake his hair back from his forehead and look a bit puzzled and but that see, was see, I think he's it, better than that. I think he's actually – I find him – I can't put my finger on it because I'm not an actor. I, I can't identify it, but I just find him – Funny, like, yeah. Did you ever see that interview um, of him by Michael Parkinson? 
Um, I don't think so. It is really, really interesting, right? So Parky is asking him about the um, – who's the hooker? Divine Brown. Yep. And then asks him about the impact on his relationship with Elizabeth Hurley and all this stuff. And it's a really interesting interview because Hugh Grant gets really pissed off. Oh. He gets really cross oh. and – I, at the time that I watched it, which is like years ago, thought, oh, here we go. This is an interesting case of a person who specialises in being all sort of um, bashful. foppish and bashful and kind of like and, – and that is actually his approach not just in those film roles for which he's famous but also in interviews he's very sort of self-effacing about his ability. Well, I'm a talentless – I'm just a talentless idiot really, you know, and so and, – and so it's quite adorable. Like, I mean, it's – you can see that that's his shtick. Um, and in this interview, which is interesting because Parky isn't often very kind of knife under the mm. ribs but he was really pushing him and he got really cross and I, I remember – I mean, I don't remember all of it but I remember at the last – moment as the camera kind of leaves them you can see grant is just fuming oh and i remember thinking Ooh, that's, oh, that's really it. interesting and the only i mean the other example of that that i remember offhand is the um journalist who did the interview uh, he did a sort of short doco sort of thing about boris johnson mm. and really went him about his poor behavior to his first wife and oh yeah um and just all these sort of terrible things that he's done which really got under the under the guard of Boris Johnson who's really really good at fobbing off questions about himself with this sort of I'm just a sort of amusing um, upper class fop kind of um, yeah. thing that's worked really well for him and has actually I think helped him survive through some absolutely indefensible decisions that yeah, he's made. If you I mean obviously I am charmed by the upper class fop but if you if you are not, because, you know, we're just talking about what people's currency is. If yeah. your currency is the foppish, you know, slightly dishevelled blah, 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 as Hugh Grant and Boris Johnson both do, if somebody is not charmed by that, wow, you've well, really got nothing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But see, Hugh Grant, I thought the interview you were going to talk about was after the Divine Brown scandal. And, I mean, it's a long time ago now and people might not remember um, Hugh Grant at the absolute peak of his fame when Four Weddings and a Funeral's come out. He's been seen with Elizabeth Hurley on the red carpet at something where she's worn that famous safety pin dress yeah. and everyone's like, wow, look at that woman. She's so gorgeous, blah, blah, blah. And then next thing, Hugh Grant's busted in the in a car with a hooker um, giving him a blowjob or something, yeah. I think. <clears throat> anyway, and it's like the, the problem was it was so far from his yeah. sort of public persona and also everyone was like, are you joking? You're with Elizabeth Hurley. Like yeah. what are you doing? Um, and he showed up not long after the first interview he did was on Jay Leno. Right, okay. And he's fronted up in front of a live audience and I think Leno's opening question was something like, what were you thinking? Yeah. Which was what everyone was asking. And Hugh just did the um, sort of – Looking through his fringe, looking yeah. sheepish and awkward. And I reckon in 10 seconds he resurrected his career just because he did the charming foppish thing and, and everyone went, oh, he's pretty adorable, isn't he? And he's he's sorry and da-da-da-da-da. So um, he sort of just it, – it was barely even a blip really, wasn't it, you think, for Hugh Grant and his career? Yep. 
And that's an extraordinary thing, really. Um, Hugh Grant's also very smart. He wrote this fantastic piece called Bugging the Buggers. I forget what publication oh, right, it was because, for. of course, he was... Um, he was one of the people yeah. whose phones was bugged and hacked by the Murdoch press. And he's shown up in a pub and the guy who's, you know, like the, the barman or somebody or who owns the pub used to work for the Murdoch press and he starts telling Hugh Grant about right. what happened. <gasps> right. And Hugh Grant then decides, all right, well, if it's good enough for the goose, it's good enough for the gander. So he starts secretly recording the conversation. So he he bugs. That's what's called bugging the buggers. Wow, I've never um, read this. That oh, it's wonderful. He, he oh, it's a brilliant um, piece of writing. Wow, it's a really okay. intelligent piece of writing. Um, and it's just it's fantastic. Yeah, I wonder if his kind of foppish act. I mean, um, I was just actually while we were reading, frantically googling um, uh, the. What is that? Do you remember reading that absolutely spectacular takedown? Of four weddings and a funeral. No. Um, oh, someone wrote a just a stupendously angry long piece about it. I remember Martin Amos wrote one years ago about why four weddings and a funeral was like the most pernicious, dreadful film. Was about because people do that too about um, what's the one where Hugh Grant's the prime minister? Oh, love actually. Yeah, people yeah. hate that too. Hugh Grant. Maybe that's what I mixed up. Maybe I'm thinking about that one. Anyway, there was yeah. one where Martin Amos wrote about how just gag worthy it was to watch these upper class fops you know worry about things that were you know not really central to anybody's relevant life um but i wonder if part of that kind of um epic shame that you kind of witness a little bit with hugh grant's public appearances where he's just sort of very dismissive about his acting is Mm. a little bit about the fact that his chief market has really been about these essential comedies of manners involving people who've got way too much privilege to worry I, about. I don't I don't know. Well, I mean, I've read profiles where people have talked about working with him and they say he is a generally miserable sort of person, yeah, like a very right. doer, um, sort of not very happy sort of chappy. Yeah, right. Um, so maybe that is just what he's like. I mean, apparently the closest character to what he's like in real life, what he used to be like at least, was um, the Bridget Jones Diary character. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, the wow. sort of player. Um, super jerk. Yeah, mm. super jerk sort of. Um, Charming when it suits. Not the foppish. He's apparently not at all foppish and self-deprecating. And um, Oh, you know. God. Yeah. Um, I just, in my useless Googling, I have also noted that they've put out some sort of reunion episode or something for, um, oh, Red, love uh, for Red Nose oh, uh, yeah. Day, That's right. um, which I'll be making a point of avoiding. Right. Uh, what else are you? Um, what else are you getting into? Uh, just a couple of quick things. So I, you know, how we often talk about how the universe seems to direct you into, and you're reading things around the same theme. Yeah. So bizarrely, um, I've got. I read uh, Francis Fukuyama's new book on. Uh, it's called Identity. Ben Elton has put a new book out called Identity Crisis, and I've got backed up waiting to go Stan Grant's little book on oh. identity. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So I don't know why. Um, Frank Fukuyama's book. Uh, it's really interesting and intelligent. And Do you call the- him Frank Fukuyama because you know him? <laughs> like because that, that seems a little. <laughs> I don't know why. I think it's, I get it from Peter Hart. Just call just him. Like, I call him the fucker. Yep. <laughs> I call him Fuku. <laughs> Frank Fukuyama. Um, he, he. The premise of it is 
we've reached a point where identity is going to perhaps become a more defining characteristic of groups of people than, say, for example, how they vote politically or right. even you know, necessarily what nationality. Um, why has this happened now in history? Like why basically was identity sort of throughout much of history you were either sort of kept down if you had an identity, identity yeah. that was different to the mainstream or whatever? Why but now? Isn't, the, isn't it the triumph of technology over geography? He has other um, explanations for why, all of which are a little bit deep for me and I've had to abandon the book about a quarter of the way in. <laughs> oh, love. <laughs> it was. It, it is interesting and if I concentrated, I'm sure I would be able to get to his conclusions um, and I just can't read that at 9.30 at night. It's too hard. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was you beyond poor, me. You poor bugger. It's just beyond me. But isn't it because like – Basically, social media and the internet's allowed people to find each other and talk to each other and realise that statistically they're not insignificant after all. Like I always just think about like I grew up in a country area and I think about all of the gay kids like in the history of being gay um, who've grown up in areas where they just feel like they're the only person in the world that feels like they do or, you know, or people with a certain disability or whatever, you know, and then all of a sudden – there's this machine that can reassure you and say, actually, look, there's this huge group of people that are, you know, really similar to you and here, here you go, you can talk to them. And so that is an incredible thing and um, one of the most hopeful things that you could have said at the internet at the beginning is that it could, maybe it could cure loneliness. That could definitely be part of it. You're going to have to read Francis Fukuyama's book yourself to see if yeah. it is because I just like, can't. Check it out from page 56 <laughs> onwards and just like if you wouldn't mind just t- texting Lisa Hills the answer in a really, really clearly and simply worded format. Just in one paragraph, that would be really helpful How are you going to go with the other identity books, love? Oh, the other one was fine. Uh, so Ben... Elton's book, Identity Crisis, again, a bit like um, Ricky Gervais, uh, not not a guy who's loving the sort of PC, you know, probably no coincidence these guys are both middle-aged white guys, right? Yeah, imagine that. Um, it starts with a police detective who is doing a press conference about some dude who's raped a woman in the park and he says something like, um, I just really encourage women to be really careful if you're walking in, in dark alone, blah, blah, blah. Creates a huge kerfuffle with everyone yep. going, why are you shaming the women, yep. you know, blah, blah, blah. And so then he has to apologise and he is the policeman's just thinking, look, I'm just trying to keep people safe and be pragmatic. You know, the world is as it is, not as we wish it to be. And, yes, men shouldn't rape but also women, please, just be pragmatic. But you can't say that. You've got to be, you yep. know. So that's just one example of how that's sort of the way the whole book tends to roll. It's just basically skewering. You can't do anything anymore. You can't even get to a lift with a woman, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah. It's, but it's broader than that though because it's about he's skewering like the pro-Brexit people, he's yeah. skewering the social media people, he's skewering the trans rights people, he's skewering. Oh, it sounds very busy, Sales. I it mean, is busy. I've never really managed it. to engage with Ben Elton's fiction very much. Just I haven't really. It, it's sort of I started reading it thinking, well, I'm not sure how this will go. Bits of it sort of left me cold, but I've, I did finish the whole book. Right. So, yeah, I found oh, it okay. If you like Ben Elton, you'll probably like it. Um, not a courtesy you showed to Frank Fukuyama. <laughs> there goes your dinner invitation. <laughs> and I'm going to stay till entree, Frank, because uh, <laughs> to be honest, you get a little dense over dinner, over the main course. So <laughs> maybe if he you was can email it, me dessert. If he was explaining it in person to me, maybe it would be 
easier. Yeah, maybe. I just need Peter Hart to write a column about it and then I'll be fine. Actually, if you've got Peter Hart to read it out because of those sibilant tones. I don't want him to read the whole thing. Sales. I just want to read, to read like Frank an 850-word summary of it. Oh, well. So I can Hart get back to that. some trashy, <laughs> trashy spy trailer. Why does your phone keep making um, – Because – Okay, and we're nearly out. Can I quickly tell you about some yes. theatre that I went to? Yes, see, you may. I went to the Sydney Theatre Company's production of Mosquitoes, which is a play by Lucy Kirkwood, very hot uh, British playwright, and it stars Jacqueline McKenzie. Oh yeah, hooray! And yeah. also Mandy McElhenney. Oh who's, yeah, whose surname I always stumble over. She was Rhonda and Katut. That's right. Yes. God, that poor woman. I know. But she just she's done so much just good talk stuff about and, to her. Yeah. Um, she, she's an incredible actor. She really the two of them are absolutely butching. Actually the whole the whole Absolutely cast, what? Bewitching. Oh, I thought you said butching. So they're say. two sisters and um Mackenzie is um uh, working on the Large Hadron Collider. Oh. Hadron Collider. Uh she's a uh, physicist, she's brilliant, she um got married to another brilliant physicist. They had a son and then he sort of went a bit mad and disappeared and so now she lives with the son who's a troubled sort of young man. Um, Mandy is uh, Jacqueline's sister who um, still lives in the UK. Um, Jacqueline lives in the States. And – oh, sorry, in – what am I talking about? In Geneva in Switzerland, obviously. God. Um, and the sister is a kind of like anti-vaxxer kind of, you know, um, a little bit anti-science. So it's science-y sister versus, you know, folksy anti-science sister. Oh, yeah. Okay. And so there's a really kind of intense family struggle, but it also is about um, science. Anyway, it's um, hmm. it's great. I really enjoyed it. And I, I – Went there. I fell asleep on the train on the way to the <laughs> oh, show oh. Uh, on Jeremy, who then woke me up when we got to Circular Quay. And that's like always a bad sign when you're going oh, to see a play. Theater. Like yeah. I've already nodded off <laughs> and I haven't even gone there yet. <laughs> and also it was starting at eight. So I was thinking, oh, all right, well, this will be one of those quick and dirty kind of, you know, one one act, no interval, home in bed by – no, it's like two and a half hours. But oh. And so I thought, oh, good. But actually I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. Oh, so, um, okay. Yeah. Good. Good yep. recommendation. Uh, yes, great, great, great cast um, and very funny. Um, so big recommend. So uh, next time we see each other might be at Sydney Writers Festival. Oh, this reminds are, me of all the books that I have to read. We are then. doing a panel together. Don't oh, bother trying to get tickets because it yeah. already sold out. Um, it's <laughs> you came up with the idea, and I think it's hilarious. I didn't actually. Um, Michaela McGuire oh. um, did. Was, oh, okay. I was too busy to have an idea, so she oh, had an idea. It was a really okay. good idea. So well played, Michaela. Yeah. So it's um, that we each have to talk about three books that we claim to have read, but one of them we haven't read. We're lying about having read it. I can't tell you how excited Lee is about this lying thing. She's been like <laughs> cackling and not telling me things uh, about. I, oh, I'm a bit worried. Oh, look, I don't want to say because I might give it away. But anyway, it's been very, very fun crafting the one that I'm lying about. <laughs> um, can I tell you, just to finish one quick French language thing, yep. I don't know if it's true, but I read it, so I'll pass it on for what it's worth. Yep. Do you know in French, apparently there's two words for the word second in English. Once is One of them is second if there's only been two, oh, yeah. and the other is second if it's the first of many. So, for oh. example, if you say so-and-so was my second lover yeah. and you've only had two lovers, because <gasps> oh. that's a, that second of two yeah. is obviously a more significant thing than I've had 15 lovers and Bob was the second. Right. Uh, so there's two different words for that. Oh. 
Isn't that interesting? Because that is that those are two like interesting and distinctive things, and we, we don't have a word for that in English. No, you're right. Good. I'll leave you with that thought. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> 